Good day, ladies. Rochelle here. Welcome to another episode of Unabashed You, the podcast where women talk about stuff. Unabashed You is women talking about stuff. It's a place where we can be uniquely ourselves without apology. We want to be wise, to know our worth, and to enjoy whimsy. In episode four, we feature a conversation with another longtime friend, Mary. She's the friend I have known for the longest, having met her in elementary school. It's hard to imagine what my life would be like without the influence she's had on me all these years. You likely have someone like that, a friend who helped form certain parts of who you are and still do. They help you be you. All right. So, you know, obviously you're you're the friend, and I, the same is true for you, that we've been friends the longest out of all the many friends we each separately have. We met when we were six, and so there's something to having a friend that you've had for so long. And yeah. You know, different periods have been in and out, and that's that's normal. But there's something about that longevity that is very sacred to me, and I think to you too. So let's just take you through some questions that you can answer so we can enjoy getting to know you better. Three words you would use to describe yourself. I knew you were going to ask me something like that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, passionate. Um, intense. And um, fun-loving. Oh, gosh, those are so good. They really cover it. They cover it so well. All right, who has had the biggest impact on the person you have become? Wow. Definitely my mother. Okay. Yeah. And why? Well, I think that uh, she's no longer here. Um, I um, think that um, she was probably the most, uh, the, her way of thinking was so balanced and fair. And when you had a problem or needed to talk to her, she was your friend and you know, un- completely unconditionally. And she was very, um, she had learned a lot in her life and through some very hard times. And, and I think I just, by osmosis, just learned, you know, in the difficult times in my life, how to cope with that from her because there was no rule book when I hit hard times and I would go to my mom and she always had the answers. 
Mm. I may not have wanted to hear them, but she was always right. And, you know, you see kitchen towels and T-shirts and whatever that said, oh, my, you know, oh, my gosh, my mother was always right. And that's that's (laughs) the truth. You know, at the time, I didn't think that. But when I think back at all the experiences that we had, you know, um, she just taught me so much about about myself. And, you know, my mom was an astrologer. Mm-hmm. So she kind of had a, a a more of a glimpse into who I was than I even did. Mm-hmm. So I miss her. I, you know, I feel like she's still here. I, you know, but anyway, she is the, was the biggest influence on my life for sure. How long has she been gone now? Seven years. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So, but it, it, I was just thinking, you know, about being friends. We have known each other. You're the only person I've known longer than my mother. Oh my God. I mean, not longer than my mother, but my mother is the only person that I've known longer than you. Oh my gosh. And that I'm still, you know, in their life and friends with a long time. Makes me feel teary-eyed. Wow, that's I mean, beautiful. I can't do the math. <laughs> I don't want to. We don't have to. We don't have to. Yeah. All right. Um, any irrational fears? Do you have any irrational fears? Um, I um, am very familiar with irrational fears because I grew up with irrational fears and had that very much in my DNA and then carried it through my adult life. They never served me very well. And I made a point to figure out how to not have them. So at the moment I'm, I would say that I'm pretty irrational fear free, but it took, (laughs) but it took enormous work to do that. Now you say it's in your DNA. Do you mean that you learn sort of learn that? Oh, for sure. My my grandmother was Greek. Okay, so that's just one big worry in itself. You just you're born worried, and then <laughs> my mom took on all that of you know being afraid to swim, being afraid to drive in the rain, you know, having fears that just weren't warranted. Um, so I grew up like that with my, the women, you know, the matriarch in my life uh, being fearful. So I, I became that way as well until I realized that it did nothing for me. So, but even so, you don't just say one day, oh, I'm not going to be irrational anymore. You just, it doesn't work like that. Right. You have to train yourself out of it. Well, I think today, I think it now, if it were today, if I had an irrational fear, it would be over something completely minor and, and insignificant. <laughs> like, you know, today I was wondering if my bathrobe should meet, should match the decor in my house. <laughs> so, you know, think, I don't, I just don't go there anymore. I mean, uh, I know how to 
stop it before it gets there. I think it's remarkable that you decided somewhere along the way, one, that you became aware of it, and two, that you made a conscious choice and decision to deal with it and to move on from it, whatever process that looked like. Not everybody does that. Not everybody has that awareness for starters. Secondly, not everybody has the desire, the will, the moxie or whatever you want to call it to work through irrational fears or any kind of fears. Well, it it ended up making me miserable because I lived in this fantasy world of fears where the fears hadn't happened. So they weren't real. And there was no idea of ever knowing if they were going to happen. So it was a waste of energy. And, um, it made me neurotic. So it was through a series of things that happened where I realized that I was not dealing when I would become that way. Um, I had to do something about myself. It had nothing to do with anything else that was going on. So, yeah, I, I realized that I was not in a happy place dealing with things that aren't real. So all irrational fears are not real. Very, very wise. Very wise. Thank you for sharing that. What is a completely 180 degree? I know you've done a lot of traveling. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever been? Oh, my gosh. Oh, so many. Um, I'll name a couple then. Okay. There's a... Um, in Sylvania, there is a place called, I think it's called Platvis. I don't even know how to spell it or say it. It's a national, I don't know what they call it, forest with about a hundred waterfalls in it. Mm-hmm. And it has a trail that runs through it. And we, when we were there, it was a little bit foggy. The color of the water under the waterfall is mm-hmm. turquoise. And the sound is amazing with the waterfalls. And we were there alone with a guide. Mm. And honestly, I said to Bill, my husband, I said, I feel like we're in heaven. It was absolutely heavenly. Mm. Um, hard to describe. You, you, it's, it, even with the pictures before we went, did not do it justice. It was unbelievable. And um, another, the other place is, you know, all the way driving through Scotland and Ireland. Um, just beautiful countryside and, and amazing, you know, castles. And, you know, the nature there is unbelievable. But, you know, there's been many, many places. Um, I usually don't go back to a place that I would love to go back to Ireland. I was just going to ask you, is there anywhere you'd want to return to? So Ireland, Um, you know, um, there's, I would love to spend a lot more time in Ireland, Ireland and Scotland feel exactly like you would think that they would from watching a movie, you know, a time period movie or reading a novel. There's something very nostalgic. It's hard to explain, but when you're there, it's, the feel there is amazing. Well, I look forward to going there someday. 
It's a good tip. Good travel tip. Yeah. Two people living or dead that you would like to have over for lunch. Oh, number one is Queen of England. (laughs) For sure. I, I would do anything to have spend some time with her. She is one of my all time heroes in life. Okay. I want to hear more about that before you even get to your second person. Well, I look at her life. I have seen and read and watched everything about her life. And I, I just can't believe her constitution. I cannot believe at such a young age, she made the decision to serve her country no matter what. And everything she had to do to, in order to do that. And today is actually her 94th birthday. And oh, I just happy birthday saw, to the queen. Saw, yeah, I saw her <laughs> cupcakes in the picture and could not believe it. But anyway, I would, <laughs> I would love to just sit and, and talk to her about, you know, her way of thinking. And not that she expressed it. You know, she holds things very close and she's not very expressive. But it, it's just, I would just, I am just in awe of her. When we were in Scotland, um, she was in Scotland. And we knew that because the flag went up on the castle showing that she was there. So I was very excited about that. So she, she would be the number one person if I could see. The second one would be kind of close in uh, demographics, but um, Maggie Smith. Oh. Is my absolute favorite, favorite actress in the world. I love her. I love everything she's in, even if it's not that great of a movie, because I love watching her. And um, I'd love to just sit and chat with her about her life. So those are my my top two. Okay. Wow. Those are... You really, you really rolled right out. I didn't even have to think about oh, it. Oh, you did not have to think about it. I love it. I love it. You obviously have uh, an affinity for... British British things. I, I obviously do. I'm not sure why, but we're going there. We, we were supposed to go there uh, in May, but it got canceled. But that's mm-hmm. our that's our huge England British Royal Downton Abbey cover it all trip coming up whenever we can travel again. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good good trip. You and I have been talking recently about some of the difficulties that we've had as parents uh, raising kids. It's, you know, it's not easy for anybody. And sometimes we are tasked with having maybe more challenging kids than others. And we've talked about, we've sort of called it the rabbit hole. When we go into a spiraling into a place of feeling um, bad about our parenting or our choices or how we did things or how we are doing things uh, specifically, again, when it comes to parenting. And I've really appreciated you being there for me during my hard times as I have, hope I have been there for you and yours. I, I would love to talk about the whole rabbit hole thing. We, we talked about what we might discuss on this episode. And that was one of the things. Um, do you want to start? Do you want to dive in? Yeah. Um, well, I 
um, have had many years of uh, challenges with children from the teenage years into the adult years. And um, I'd say really hard, hard challenges. So it affected me greatly in a way where I didn't know how to cope with things not going the way I thought that they should go with my children. And uh, boy, I mean, it took me years to figure out that, you know, they come to the world with their own nature and yes, we as parents teach them things and things happen. They grow, they develop, they become their own people, but it doesn't mean that as a parent, you're a hundred percent responsible for their choices. And I always took it very personal that was I a good mother? What, what should I have done? What didn't I do? This happened, that happened, trying to analyze it, figure it out. And as the time went and the challenges stayed, it wasn't like there was one period. I, I happened to have a, a long stretch, I'd say about 13 or 14 years of challenging times. So in that time, it took me a really long time to figure out that there were only so many things I could do. And what were the things that I could control so that internally, no matter what they did, I was going to be okay. Um, one of those things, we talk about that, the rabbit hole, when things, you know, flare out of control or get to be too much or something, a disaster happens or drama or trauma or all the calls that you get, you know, as a parent, you're, you're watching things unfold. It's like it, it can affect you to the point where you cannot detach from it and you just go down with it. And this is what I call the rabbit hole. So it took a lot of work, a lot of therapy, a lot of reading, a lot of prayer, meditation, a lot of study on how to detach instead of going down the rabbit hole and, and you're, you deteriorating because you're caught up in this, which of course you're going to be caught up. You're the mother. It's very, very difficult to detach. But at some point you have to ask yourself, is my life of value because I can't, I can only take so much. It's not natural to go through this kind of hardship. I don't think for humans, it's, it's too much for your spirit and your soul. And you don't come here with coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to figure out how you're going to cope. Um, I have learned that when you get, when you're just about to go down the rabbit hole, you, you got to make some pretty big moves to not. For me, going down the rabbit hole meant all kinds of things. It meant that I was full of stress, that my marriage had stress, that I overate, that I didn't take care of myself, that I became 
absolutely miserable that I was felt hopeless. And I felt that I, I didn't know how I was ever going to get back to, to a normal life. So for me and everybody's different, I had to figure out how not to go down the rabbit hole and how, in fact, how not, not only not how to go down it, but how to be able to be resilient in what seemed to be an impossible situation with the challenges. So when you and I have talked, you have talked about recognizing like triggers if that would be one word for it, or when you're could be heading down the rabbit hole. So again, you, you've developed some awareness of what those are. And so what do you, what do you notice that, that helps kind of rein you back in? Well, I had to look, the first thing I had to learn was um, to not, when, when you get a call or something happens to not take it on. First of all, you can't um, save anybody. You can only put out their suggestions and they bite or they don't. You can't invest your world, your life, your entire being in these situations that are so difficult. Um, when I, well, what I, what I learned along the way is to recognize what creates fear for me. Mm, Okay. That's a good first step. And if it's like, you know, you think about, you know, what, you know, danger, danger, like, (laughs) Oh, your life. uh, If I, if, if one of my kids was, let's just say their life was falling apart. Um, or something really bad had happened, I would, instead of looking at it objectively and detaching from it and realizing that this is something that they needed, they need to take care of and do something about, I would take it on. It would eat me alive. It would, it would weigh on me. And this is where I, you know, there's all kinds of triggers for this to happen. You can get a crisis call. You can get something in the mail that shows that, you know, there was tickets. You can, there's all kinds of things that happen. It starts with some kind of a problem or crisis, or, you know, you find information out about kids. And then at that point, or you're challenged or there's confrontations with kids there's all kinds of triggers and the, the process though, when, when realizing, first of all, you have to realize this isn't probably good for me, this conversation or this episode or their problem or whatever it is. So what are you going to do about it? And this is where people go down the rabbit hole. It's instead of, stopping at the hole, they go all the way down and get sucked into the cycle of all of it. So you have to say, well, so everybody's different. So what would stop you from going down the rabbit hole? Well, I, I could come up with a bunch of things. You want me to come up with some? Sure. That'll help, <laughs> okay. help us. I mean, everybody's different. So it depends on people's preferences. You know, what, what gives you relief? What gives you, what is your lifeline? Who is your lifeline? Like, you can call a friend. You can talk to your husband. You can go for a walk. You can pray. You can um, 
whatever you can do mentally or emotionally to back out of the situation, even if it's temporary, maybe you just need to, you know, an hour or half hour or whatever to reach, to think about what's really happening. Because what happens is we go way forward with fear and we say, Oh my gosh, you know, what does this mean? What's going to happen? What's the future going to be? You know, what are they going to do? All this thought process about all of that, doesn't do anything for anybody doesn't do anything for the mother or, or you or me or whatever it's just part of the noise and part of the circus so you have to take though active steps to back out or not go down real live steps to, to not allow yourself to get into this the pattern the crazy pattern I call it of getting sucked into the vortex of the insanity of it. Right. And so those are very practical suggestions. So it's not just a mind thing where you're aware, although obviously you have to be aware to then make a, a practical choice, but then it is doing something practical. People, I mean, every person has to be able to be real with themselves, first of all. And a lot of people can't be real. They say, oh, I don't do that. I don't do this. Well, that's not me. Oh, I, 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 I just love my kids. I want to help them. No, that, okay. That may be true, but you're too involved. You need to step back. And that's hard for people to do. And it's hard for you to see that you're too invested and you have to think about yourself because if you're no good to you or your family or your husband, you're no good to that kid that's having the crisis. Why do you think our generation got so much more involved in parenting than our parents? Well, our parents growing up, they, I, my mother didn't know what my homework was or when it was due or, I mean, you know, she saw my report card and that was about it. I just don't remember the level of, I mean, is it, it's almost like on some level it's required now, like school's require you to know more and be more involved. I'm not trying to blame the schools. I think it's a lot more complicated than that, but it's a stark contrast to me how we were with our kids from how our parents were with us. Well, I mean, I think that's the exact answer. I think, you know, I mean, you know what my my upbringing was. It was a very loose group over there at my house, and there were like no rules. There were no consequences. There was no structure. You know, all the things that we uh, went to. I think that's why um, when I had before I had kids, I thought to myself, well. You know, I, I want to make sure I'm like this kind of a mother and that kind of a mother, which wasn't, even though my mother was great, she was a very unconventional mother. And I'm really thankful I had her. However, I decided from her way of mothering and, and the way my dad was to almost be completely different than them because I, I felt I didn't get what I needed as a, as a child. So I think our, our, that generation was super, super lax and unaware. 
And it was just such a different mindset of what to do with your kids. It's kind of like you just had kids and they just ran around and, you know, it was just whatever works, works. And that's it. So I think that was just not enough. And then the next generation went way the other side to try to, uh, you know, make up for that. And I know I did. And I know that wasn't the right choice either. I tried to make up for what my parents didn't do. And I overdid. And that's pretty common. I think we try to overcompensate for what we didn't have, or we had too much of this, so we want less. I think that's natural. I'm, I'm hoping that it, it lands somewhere in the middle, because I, I just think it's really out of whack, completely out of whack. Where's the balance? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have done things a little bit differently now that I look back and that I'm at this stage and, you know, I, I made things, I think, sometimes too easy for my kids. And, um, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I, at the time of being a parent, being a young parent and then, you know, an older parent, I did the best I could and the best I knew at Absolutely. that time. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that what I did do um, was enough, and it's up to them to figure out what, what to do. And I think as a grown child, sort of the best place you can arrive at is realizing that your parents did the best they could do and letting go of what you thought you wanted or needed and realizing, yeah, they did their best. And whatever I didn't get is now up to me to get it. Well, that is the lesson <laughs> that you hope that they ultimately get. Um, and, and the, you know, whatever kind of resentment or hostility or anger or, or, grudge you might feel towards your parent because it wasn't the way you you thought it should have been is ultimately going to only hurt you. I mean, I had, my dad was, you know, not the (laughs) model father, as you know, and um, I knew that at a very young age and I decided at, at, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just God's grace or whatever, but I decided that he was never going to be normal and I wasn't going to hold it against him. And I, I didn't. And I'm the one that benefited from that. I did. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I said to myself, I remember saying this, I'm always going to be nice to him because one day when he dies, I don't want to feel bad because I wasn't nice to him no matter what kind of a dad he was. Wow. And he did die. He did die, and I, I was okay. I felt, I felt completely good about the way I handled that. And it sounds like you decided that at a fairly young age. I, it was the weirdest thing. I remember at the age five having the thought, my dad is a different kind of dad. <laughs> and... and He's never going to be like the other dads. And he never was. Your dad was like a playmate. 
He wasn't around a lot, but when he was around, he was very interested in being yes. a playmate. I mean, one of my yeah. absolute the jokes. Yeah, the, jokes. Yeah. Yeah. One of my yeah. favorite yeah. memories of your dad is taking us down to, I don't even know if we called it Save On back then, but some sort of a huh? drugstore and sticking us in the cart, the shopping cart. Of course, that was way before they had any kind of seatbelts. Yeah. Or anything like that. And he put, put us both in there. And then in the parking lot, uh, ran like a crazy person uh, pushing us in the cart. And eventually we crashed into something and flew out and thought it was the funniest thing that had ever happened. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much how he lived his life. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's, you know, it, it was definitely... Uh, you know, there's a lot of lessons there for me in having a dad like that. I often wonder what was that about? I mean, I, I, you know, sometimes you hear things like, you know, people are in your life for a certain reason. You, you are to learn something from that relationship. And I, I mean, to this day, I still ponder <laughs> what that was about. So, yeah. Um, forgot what, what topic we were on well, there. Well, on your dad and, and how you were able to be so forgiving and so oh, full yeah. of grace at such a young age that you may actually made a conscious choice and you, your recognition that that my dad is different from the other dads and I'm okay with that. And you know what's funny is I just, um, I had taken some notes from my mother, her life, a bunch of um, history that had been written down. And I just recently put it into a document. It took me a really, really long time. And in that, in that information, it talks a lot about my dad, his behavior, where he came from. And, you know, he, he did the best that he could do too. Yeah. That's all he knew. And, I mean, it was weird, but it was what he knew. And, and, uh, why, why, I mean, doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve my sons to be mad at me either. And this is the, this is a lesson I hope that everybody in life can learn because it holds people back. The whole being angry and being resentful. And, and the baggage that's not let go of doesn't serve anybody. And it only just keeps you miserable. So um, anyway, I was fortunate to be able to do that. I have a brother that didn't do it. He couldn't do it. And he ended up bitter and made choices in his life, I think, because of that bitterness and I'm just—I feel fortunate that I, I didn't—that ha- didn't happen for me. So I love that people do the best they can do, and offering them grace and realizing that they, you know, you well, you, you do better I, and you know better. That's—it's just and, that simple. And I think this, you know, kids our age or that generation or whatever. Sometimes I I, I see a real. Not in everybody, but in many cases, I see an inability for empathy. Mm. And this is also something that 
you know, can save people's lives if they could be empathetic, if they could step out of it being all about them and understand that, you know, things happen for a reason. There's, there's more to everything than just what's right in front of them. So, um, anyway, that empathy helps me a lot. I like that. That's good. That's a good word. And it, it's more than just a good word. The, the meaning, I mean, what stands, what it is, is uh, valuable, has impact, and should be practiced a lot more. All right, moving on to, I know you have some very unique ways that you deal with, well, you're, you've gotten very good at self-care. That's one thing that I've uh, really appreciate and um, am in, inspired by is how you've gotten very good at self-care, taking care of yourself, not just emotionally and psychologically and all those ways that are all very good. But I wanted to talk in particular about your, you have, you have discovered this side of yourself that is very primal and one might say even reminiscent of some tribal or native kind of like going back to early man kind of, um, I don't know if ritual would be the right word, but one, I would like to to have you sort of share how you stumbled upon this that's ended up being not just a physical outlet for you, but then also kind of a, a spiritual release, an emotional release. And I did love that song you, you, you sent over today. It has an incredible beat. And oh. what, what, how could you not oh. want to move to oh. that? Yeah, that's, that was great. Megan Trainers, me too. So just just yeah. a little tip there. Yes. So um, I have never been able. I have always struggled with my weight since you know I, w- I was younger, and I never have found an exercise that I loved, and I never stuck with one because the exercise wasn't that fun for me. So obviously, I needed to find an exercise that I loved to stay consistent. So I think when I was younger, I always really loved dance, but I was really shy about it. So I never really just kind of went out and danced, even though I loved the beat of the music. I realized this lately that why didn't I go out and dance more? So as I decided, well, what, you know, I've got to find something. So I decided one day, you know what? I love this, these beats, this, like, it's kind of like a hip hop mix of rap. It, nothing that I would listen to, you know, at home. <laughs> and sometimes the language is a little bit inappropriate or whatever, but it, it's this certain beat. And it really just for whatever reason makes me move. So I found all these artists that I love and all these songs that I thought were so fun. And I, got them all on a playlist and I started to dance and I couldn't do it in front of anyone. And I don't do it in front of anyone. So I make my husband leave the house, (laughs) shut the windows. You know, I basically am in my bra and underwear and I put my 
have fans going so I won't get hot, put my music on. And what it is, is kind of a mix of a dance, aerobics, walking, running, skipping, wild hand gestures. A lot of this, because I want my fingers to also move too. And extremely animated, heavy activity like this. It's so exaggerated. It's absolutely outrageous. This is why I just can't bring myself to do it in front of anyone. I, I, I can't. So now I've got it up to like an hour a day. Oh, my like, God. I'm at, up to like 7,500 steps wow. in, the, in the dance. And I go from room to room. It's very extreme. Bathroom, bedroom, bedroom, down the hall, up and down in the kitchen, around the dining room table. I have it like I, I actually laugh out, out loud as I'm doing it. Thinking about if someone would see me, what would they say? So bottom line is, you know, in the past, you know, few months, I've lost 22 pounds. Congratulations. And, That's fantastic. Um, I feel better. My endorphins are flowing. I feel younger. I think it's affected me in a way where, I mean, if I don't do my dance, I feel like something's not right. I got to do my dance. And I, I, I fantasize about going public with it it's a way to share how uh, fun it is and you know um so i think it it is a you know just coming to terms with that this is my thing this is my jam this is like who i am which is so weird because it's like weird it's weird to see it, but it for it, it's just the greatest thing. I, I absolutely love it, and, and you know I'm not describing it right. You actually have to kind of see it. So, um, but it, it's pretty intense. Well, I what I love about what you're describing is that you in this moment, especially knowing that no one is watching, gives you this extra layer of of permission to be fully who you are in that moment, full abandon, just going with the beat. And I just wish we were more like that in across the board, across the board, not just in our private dancing time. I just think it's almost symbolic for how we should be in our lives. You know, this this podcast is called Unabashed You, and it's about being you without apology. So I would love at some point for you to share a how-to or some, you know, like how to get started if a woman kind of wanted to try this herself. Like how, how would she, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned how you do it. And maybe somewhere down the road, there there is a little... A uh, little uh, t- t- tutorial, a little video that goes with it. I don't know. This could there, be there, there. You know what? You never know. There could be. And one thing about you know transferring this uninhibited, like it's almost a different person that I do. You know, with this dancing, is because it kind of makes you feel alive when you do it it crosses over into the other world, the world that everyone else sees you in, in how you're feeling. So you may, I may not go out the front door 
and, you know, lay it all out there like, like I do in the house because people, I just frankly don't know if they can handle it. But in a way, it has uh, brought, you know, me kind of out of, you know, um, or, or maybe, you know, made me feel a little so different that in my daily actions with people or my kids or neighbors or whatever, I, I might do something that I normally wouldn't do because I might be too uh, more reserved. So it has made me less reserved. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, you kind of find something that you love and it's not for everybody. You know, everybody, somebody, people play tennis, you know, whatever people do all kinds of things. But if you have the tendency to dance or love dance or love music that makes you move, it's definitely something that people can do instead of your everyday, not interesting, you know, uh, exercise that people can't get motivated for. But I like that this has an, a whole other element to it, a whole other side to it, a whole other level, dimension, whatever you want to call it, this this freeing, the being uninhibited. I mean, that's... That is because different from playing tennis. It really, or you know what? Because it really is the real me. Yes. Yes. Thank and, you. And that, that that is me. That is who I am. I've never really shown that, you know, in any way to the world. You know, um, and it isn't just about dancing. It's just total liberation. I mean, it's just like. You don't, you just don't care. You're just whatever it is. You're just you. And, and it is so, I mean, if you were to do this in front of someone, you would put yourself in the most vulnerable position of, of like, who is this lady? But so how do you like bottle the feeling of what's happening to you while, while you're doing this event? and carry it forward into your life. I think, I think it, it, it is transferring from one, you know, this private um, activity outward in, in me. I mean, I think it's just happening naturally. And I think everybody should, you know, I mean, the older we get, the more we need to be who we are, say what we want, do what we want, you know, get rid of restrictions or stigmas or, what we should do or whatever, because you get older and you say, I'm going to be here for how many more years on this planet? I'm going to do what I want, you know, not to be selfish yeah. or not to be a self-centered or, or defiant. It's just that you go through life and you do things that you have to do and you put up with things that you have to put up with and you get to a point where you just don't want to do that anymore. Well, and it, it sounds like it's given you a confidence that is really transferred over, like you said, to be to be who you are. This is who I am, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Not in an arrogant way, but yeah. in a in a confident in a confident way. And that that's what this is all about. I just told one of my kids yesterday about this dancing. Of course, they've never seen it, right? So this is a new like information for them. And he listened and he barely even knew what to say at the end of it. I was trying to describe it like I am here. He just said, that is amazing. And that night 
in his garage, they created a dance party with lights and sirens and all kinds of stuff. And they said, he said, you inspired us to have a dance party. So, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, they, I'm not going to take all credit for their dance party, but it, what was interesting was his reaction to me being me. Yes. He was really into it. He, he thought it was the greatest thing ever. That's that, what I was telling him. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So it's so um, celebratory that in that moment he was, you know, encouraging you to be who you are. Yeah. I wanted to also talk about levity, whimsy, playfulness, fun, laughter, which is something that we have in common. And is, as I've shared with you before, you're single-handedly the person that has formed my humor more than anybody else by far. There, Nobody even comes close to being a number two. But... I want to know where where did that humor come from, and, and was it the, the older brothers? Because you're one of four with three older brothers, and the, the obviously the only female. So, were they the ones that were funny? Was it your dad? I mean, where did this very acute, well formed humor come from? So. Hands down, my dad. So, so (laughs) you know, when I think about what was his purpose in my life, I often think one of the things I say all the time is that um, I I learned, I got my humor from him. I I learned, I mean, he, he, everything to him was a joke and and absurd and insane. A new level, next level joke. You know, all of his gags and everything. He was he was really funny and he had a kind of warped, like, um, uh, inappropriate, you know, just bizarre humor that he was way ahead of his time in humor, like stuff that happens now reminds me of how, how crazy my dad was back then. And so he was, you know, he was a funny guy and my mom was super funny too she couldn't create it as much as my dad did. Um, my, my brothers were, were, you know, all of us were in the same boat. We, we came from this, this crazy couple and, and especially my dad. I mean, you knew who, how he was. He was just, you know, the jokes were endless. So, you know, I can't, uh, my, even myself, I can't escape all that, you know, like, um, I, I, so funny with you and I because sometimes I feel like I'm still six and then I feel like 10 and then I feel I feel like we're 15 because that humor part never changes (laughs) we're look at look at our age and we still laugh at the same things that we did when we were six Personally, I think that's a great thing. Other people might not think they're funny, but I know you're going to laugh. So, you know, I mean, I'm I'm thankful for that sense of humor because uh, I I needed it many times in my life. And I and I I need it as I get older. I, I kind of incorporate more humor in my life as a as a way to get, you know, 
get through life. I, I want, I want to be able to continue. There were a lot of years I wasn't laughing. Mm. Things just weren't funny. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, you know, I've, I've gone full, pretty much full circle. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm, you know, think this is a really good time in life. And, and it, we went through a lot. I mean, both of us have yeah. tons, tons of stuff. And, and you never stop learning and you never stop going through stuff. So the whole coping skills and the whole being able to figure out how to do the whole thing is just so important for people. What do you find funny now? I mean, how are you, how are, other than our texts, which are very hysterical between us, what else are you doing to capture humor in your, in your life on a day-to-day or maybe it's not day-to-day basis? Well, I have a, a grandson who m- makes me laugh end- endlessly. He's four. So I kind of am on par with him, with his humor. Um, <laughs> he He's just so much fun. And um, I, I don't know, for some reason, I think because I have kind of gone through a lot and come out on the other side, that I find humor in very, in, in things that, you know, it just happened along through the day. You know, I, I'll laugh now at something that maybe six years ago I wouldn't have laughed at because I'm able to see it. And, and I'm not, I don't have so much going on in my head that it doesn't allow me to laugh. Right. So anyway, I, uh, what, what shall I do this? I mean, there's all kinds of things that I see, uh, videos and, and you know, crazy stuff on the internet. I'm laughing all the time that are just out there. So you seek it out on some level to, to make sure you're getting your humor. And I don't really seek it. It just, you just find it. Yeah. I mean, my humor is, I mean, I, I, I don't think I lack for humor on a daily basis. There's always something happening. That's, you know, funny or I'm laughing at, I don't really seek it out. I, I never have. It's just been a part of my DNA, you know, I, 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 that's how I came into the world in that kind of an environment. Well, I know that we have had some fun, uh, growing up doing kind of different things that, that, well, again, you know, the different things that, that we did as kids, uh, you know, I just have to mention a couple of them because this is the kind of humor that, that we find so funny. And this is, um, and I don't know if you got this from your brothers initially, or if it was just your own creative humorous genius, but being in the cafeteria in elementary school, uh, you had to be excused. Can you imagine that happening today? There was a cafeteria worker, a particular mom who was there every day who played tennis. And she obviously after tennis or before tennis came and helped us oh, yeah. uh, with the uh, whole, you had to raise your hand to be excused. So that sometimes there were these long stretches of time where you had to wait to be excused. And so we found creative ways to spend that time. And you became very skillful at taking a fork or a spoon rather below the below the table level and flicking peas or carrots onto unsuspecting 
kids in several tables away. And for I still find that kind of humor so funny. You know, I was mischievous, wasn't I? Yes. As a kid. And I, that was my thrill. Like, what could I do and get away with it and have no one know, and have no one know about it? I mean, not in a bad way, but just in, oh, in, yeah. in ways to make any you know, just crazy things. You know, I, I didn't I or no, you used to push me into boys. No, that was you. That <laughs> was you. And I probably reciprocated like, OK, that's what we do now. OK, <laughs> but it always it always tended to be whoever I liked at the time. So that it was like ultra embarrassing. I mean, yeah. you know, just being flung into whoever yeah, I like. I only like guys for a couple of days. Yeah. Or if, maybe a if that, if that. Maybe an hour. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It was just it, whatever could be the most absurd thing happening at the time uh, we were, I would do. And, you know, I still love to do that. I mean, when my, I, I mean, I used to be at parties as an adult. And put like canopies or crackers on people's shoulders, and they know it. But they were walking around with a canopy on their shoulder. I think that was the funniest thing ever. I mean, I don't even admit these things in real life because they're just so bad. I mean, what adult does this? That's not bad though. Remember remember in um, uh, one time, uh, my son and I were in San Francisco in like a twenty-story building. And we had extra sushi, and we threw it out the window at the people walking by down. Oh, my God. It never hit anyone, but it was just the thrill of it, which is hilarious. I don't know why things like this are funny. I really don't. <laughs> Most people say that is insane, and you're insane. But, you know, it's just this bizarre type of Saturday Night Live, I guess, humor of just absurd, crazy things. I, I, I still... I used to, my kids used to come home from school and I used to be watering in the yard and I loved it so much. I heard them coming. I would squirt them over the fence <laughs> day, daily and, and they'd never learn. They'd keep the same path and then the next day I'd squirt them. <laughs> and then I'd laugh. Oh my God. It's kind of a sickness, I think. Really, no, just no. It's humor. Great. Yeah. It's, it's humor, absolute humor. Okay, one thing I want, one thing you would have me do, because I, I always seem to be a pretty willing uh, participant in your schemes when it came to humorous shenanigans. Yeah. Why did you find rolling R's so funny? Like how you know, long we could I, do it? This I, you usually I, couldn't I, get very I, far. I, I, I thought you started the R thing. Oh I thought it was because name was Rochelle. I remember sitting on the curb on Vicky Drive yes. to see how long we could roll our R's. Yes. And we would both roll our R's as long as possible we, until we couldn't breathe. Right. But typically, you couldn't do it for that long because you'd start laughing. No, I know. No, I don't know why that was a thing. I just don't know. I don't know what prompted it, where it came from. It was just one of our yeah. things. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm just, just curious about that. Another thing that your parents obviously allowed, and I'm it's it's so funny how, and, and it's really not that big of a deal, but we would, uh, you had like a steep hill behind your house with ice plant 
and we would grab pieces of cardboard and slide willy-nilly pretty fast down the hill and wipe out every time and think that was funny and how we never really quite injured ourselves. Yeah, I can't believe we're still alive. <laughs> I, 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 my parents were kind of on a non, uh, um, you know, they weren't really monitoring much that was happening there on Vicky Drive. So anything went, it's just, there was no, you know, they just figured that we'd all come back at the end of the day and be okay. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I used to get off the onto the roof on Vicky Drive and walk over to the top of the garage roof and jump off in the middle of the night and go to 7-Eleven. Wow. My parents, never, my parents never knew what was happening. Wow. I didn't know about they that. Just, you know what? And the funniest thing is I had all this freedom and no rules or restrictions or and I, I can't believe I turned out the way I did. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Well, you but, had some innate ability to cultivate and be the best you could be, which was pretty darn fantastic. Well, you know, compared to how kids are raised today, amazing. Amazing that I, that I you know, didn't go sideways. And you always had a maid. Always. Or would you call it a maid or a housekeeper? I mean, she lived with always, you. We always called her a housekeeper, okay. which meant that I never had to cook, clean, be responsible, have any chores ever in my entire life as a child. Amazing. And because especially for that time. That was very unusual for that time. I, I didn't have one chore. And the housekeepers... Were like, I mean, they clean my room, they cook for me, they catered to me. It was just unbelievable. Anything I wanted to eat, they would make it. Um, and it's just so funny how that didn't affect me in a negative way. <laughs> like, I ended up being super clean, super responsible, very hardworking, um, ran, run my household like, you know, a tight ship. I don't know how that happened. No idea. I was always very impressed because you spoke Spanish with them. Yes. Well, they were, I, I mean, I've had them from the time I was five to the time I was 17. There was always a live-in housekeeper. They lived there with us 24-7. Wow, very yeah. unusual for that time. Yeah. All right, do you have your phone nearby? Yes. Okay, I want you to pull, I just sent you something. I want you to pull it up. A little walk down yeah. memory lane here. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, okay, I just sent Mary some pictures from when we were in elementary school. Now, Mary, I don't know, Mary, if you did your own clothes shopping or if your mom picked out your clothes, but you always had really cute clothes. So that, that's one comment I have to make. These are from the sixth grade. Very cute, short dresses. Very cute with the now, white. Who the boy on the on the with the orange checkered shirt? What's his name? Pete. 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 Peter. 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 We're not saying his last name. Mm -hmm. Okay. Peter. Sorry. 
Okay. Okay. So very, and then this kid here with the green, his name was Sam, I think. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. I remember. Okay. Now the picture on the bottom, I want to talk about, this woman is currently a corporate executive for a a real estate commercial. She does very well. This woman obviously was industrious from minute one because the second picture I'm sending are black and white pictures that this girl named Jill took of Mary. She took all these black and white pictures of Mary and sold them, sold them typically to the boys and made a lot of money. (laughs) So that second picture... Show this picture. This is, I mean, I had sticking a banana in my nose. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. <laughs> it's just one of my things. Oh, I just forgot about that. I just had no, to I share don't. that with you. That was just a nice little walk down memory lane. That is amazing. And when it comes to dancing, I just want to remind you that our fifth grade teacher would take us on Fridays into, I think it was called Room 12, where we always had a dance party. And we could bring our records, and she would let us have a little dance party. I think it was at the end of the day. Did I dance? I think you did. Wow, did the boys dance? Um, I think they did, because at that point, we kept pairing off. Like, one week you liked Ted, one week I liked Fred, then we switched off. You liked Fred, then I liked Ted, and then we switched off into some other avenues. And um, is that what we like? Was Fred and Ted, or were there <laughs> I, I think they were. I think they were the options at the time. Oh, yes, God. yes, yeah. So yeah, this uh, that particular teacher didn't quite have a, a pulse on what was happening in her in her class. Yeah, but. Um, I love that you, you've developed and really have always had a great sense of worth and that you have learned through experience and through your own self-awareness and reading and resources and, and um, self-discovery uh, have a lot of, of wisdom that you've gathered. And then clearly you have a very playful, whimsical side, which is, you know obviously something I value. I value all three of those things in you very much. So any concluding words on your end? Uh, uh, just that it, um, you know, I was thinking today about how long we have been friends and how it doesn't matter if I don't see you or talk to you for a year or longer or whatever or a minute (laughs) that that yeah that it's just it seems absolutely like there the time you know has no meaning you know and I think at being at this age and all these years that we have known each other it feels like there's no there's been no time I mean, it's been a long time since we've been friends, but but it it just feels like it's always been there. It will always be there, and and uh, it, it's very easy to feel 
very young when we're together and when we communicate <laughs> in a way that other people might not relate to, which is fine. Yeah, that's fine. But I actually think that there are people out there, women out there who, who could relate. And you, you really hit it on the head, the timelessness of a really great friendship. It, it, it does defy time because you just pick up right where you left off. And you know, I know I could call you anytime at any point for anything. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you would do whatever you could to be there for me and to be helpful. And as you have been, it's so funny how, you know, friendships kind of go through phases, but, um, you know, with this last year being particularly difficult for me, you, you've really come alongside me and made sure that you were checking in and you were there. And I think friends need to do that for each other. So I would encourage the women out there. If you, if somebody's on your mind or on your heart, just take a minute and reach out and just say, Hey, thinking about you, how you doing? Get the conversation started. It, it, it can change your entire soul at the time that you need it to your spirit and your motivation. And it can actually just save you at a really critical moment. So it's everyone should, if they have that friend, if they're lucky enough to have that friend or any friend that they feel, you know, they can reach out to. Sometimes people don't like to do that because it's not comfortable to say, Hey, I, I'm, I'm at a low point. I need a little boost. But I did that with you not too long ago. And it was so, you know, helpful just to say, I'm, I'm feeling so discouraged today or whatever it was that I said. And it just, as soon as I pressed send, it was like a weight had been lifted because I knew within a matter of moments, you were going to be right there. And you were, and I mean, even though it was a vulnerable moment to reach out and say, I'm feeling discouraged right now, because, you know, it's like we think of ourselves, oh, I'm 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 strong and I can get through this or whatever. But it, that's just that's just not true. I mean, there are times when you do need to be vulnerable and you do, you know, I just really value being authentic and being transparent and being real. And, and that's really what started this whole podcast was the desire to, to really help spread those principles, values, philosophies, whatever you want to call them, and to really encourage other women to, to do the same. Because I think more women than not want to really fully be themselves and want to embrace whoever that is. And... Right. Right. And, and sometimes it's almost impossible to do. We, we get beat up. Yes. We get beat up along the way. We get crushed. Our spirits are crushed. We, we, you know, we, we just take on so much and go through so much and we don't realize at some point who we even are anymore. Yeah. And, and, and trying to get back to that is a whole process. I was just going to say, I don't know, you probably have seen Brene Brown, do you know who she is? Yes. The power of vulnerability. Yes. That was a great, great, great one. That was really an impactful speech in my um, development, the power of vulnerability and how important that is to just say it. If you're not okay, say it, 
say it to somebody safe find somebody safe and say it reach out if you need the help agreed absolutely agreed and I uh, I also was impacted by that and um, I again I, I'm I think because we're getting older I, I'm just I'm so much less interested in having relationships with people who don't want to be vulnerable, don't want to be real, don't want to be authentic, who want to keep things sort of at a, at this Mm -hmm. eh, kind of, I don't know, just not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's just not what I'm interested in. Right. It's not like, Oh, I just want to go dark and deep. No, I, I want laugh. I want, I want it all. I want it all. And I want to encourage women to, you know, it is okay to have and be who you are. And sometimes it doesn't need a big, giant, dramatic conversation. We're in this pandemic right now. Um, a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, I can't remember, I, I, I got up and I thought, okay, I, I have no motivation. I, I'm not sure what's happening at this moment. And I, I didn't feel like super uplifted. I felt a little bit like, uh, I don't know. It was just out of whack. And I texted you and said, I, 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 you know, I'm just not motivated. I'm not sure I can get off this couch. And you said, well, then don't. <laughs> and then I thought, Why do you need to? Or something like that. And then I thought, Oh, she's right. Okay. And then I felt fine. And look at that exchange. Yeah. It was like nothing. It's just a, yeah. like a, it was like a confirmation, you know, you're okay. Just keep going. But if you can get that from a friend study, sometimes it doesn't always work with your husband or your partner or your, you know, who you're living with or whatever. You just need to kind of reach out and, and get it from somebody who gets you. Agreed. Totally agreed. Well, thank you so much, my friend, for being my friend for so many thank years. You. I'm very grateful and love to have you on again. We'll have to come up with some new topics. That won't be hard to do at all. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm so, so glad you did. Thank yeah, you. I did. All right. Talk to you later. Text, Bye. Te- we'll text later tonight. Yeah, for five minutes. Okay. All righty. Bye. Bye. I am grateful for our friendship. I know that as women, we can learn about being our best selves through the close friends we have in our lives. That's not the only way, of course, but it is the one we celebrate here. Mary and I talked about some of the things we might discuss in this episode. I am glad we were able to hit on practical steps for avoiding those rabbit holes, along with how therapeutic and fulfilling humor is. The practical steps for avoiding the rabbit holes will be found on the blog page on our website, unabashedyou.com. You have a vast amount of content to choose out there each day, and we appreciate you have made Unabashed You part of this day. Come be part of the conversation through the website, or you can email us at unabashedyou at gmail.com. I am blessed to be sharing this endeavor with you. Thanks to Mary and to Zoo People for the soulful music that begins and ends each episode. Let me bless your day with the prayer of Michael Judge. His words keep on giving. Lord, today, take me where you want me to go. Have me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say and keep me out of your way.
And in our words, ladies, today, be unabashed. Be you.